BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Here's a mystery. In the midst of a pandemic, why did California's top public health director resign over the weekend? There's much speculation, but Governor Gavin Newsom is staying tight-lipped. Here's KQED politics reporter Katie Orr. Dr. Sonia Angel abruptly resigned on Sunday. Her departure comes after a glitch in a disease tracking system that delayed the processing of data from hundreds of thousands of COVID-19 test results. During an update on the state's coronavirus response, Newsom confirmed Angel's department knew about the glitch for several days before he found out. But he repeatedly declined to give details about why Angel resigned or whether he specifically asked her to. She resigned. She wrote a resignation letter. Um, and I accepted her resignation. We're all accountable in our respective roles for what happens underneath us. State health officials say the backlog of unprocessed tests has now been cleared. Newsom also responded to several executive orders recently signed by President Donald Trump. One would extend additional unemployment benefits for people who've lost their jobs because of COVID. However, it would require states to pick up a quarter of the cost. Newsom says that would amount to $700 million a week for California. There is no money sitting in the piggy bank of the previous CARES Act to be reprioritized or reconstituted for this purpose simply does not exist. Newsom has pushed hard for another aid package from the federal government, but so far, nothing has passed. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Should gig economy workers be employees or freelancers? That's an issue that's consumed a lot of California politics over the past couple of years. A court injunction issued yesterday means Uber and Lyft drivers could become employees of those companies within 10 days. KQD's Sam Harnett reports. The injunction makes it so Uber and Lyft would have to classify drivers as employees, while the courts settle a lawsuit brought against the gig companies by the state attorney general. This means drivers would have protections like unemployment insurance and overtime. In his ruling, Superior Court Judge Ethan Schulman said the state showed an overwhelming likelihood of winning this case. And he added that, quote, defendants are not entitled to an indefinite postponement of their day of reckoning. 
Lawyers for Uber and Lyft wanted to postpone the decision until November when voters get a chance to weigh in on Prop 22. That prop would exempt Uber and Lyft from AB5, a law enacted in January designed to force them to classify drivers as employees. Uber and Lyft have 10 days to appeal the injunction. For The California Report, I'm Sam Harnett. In the days before the coronavirus pandemic, the dangers of vaping was one of the big public health discussions in the U.S. Well, a study released by Stanford University this morning says young adults who vape are more likely to get COVID-19. Here's KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg. The new study confirms what doctors feared. A young person who vapes is five to seven times more likely to get infected if exposed to the coronavirus. The more often a teen uses electronic cigarettes, the more likely they are to get sick. The findings surprised researchers like Bonnie Helper and Felsher. She's a developmental psychologist at Stanford. We certainly didn't expect to see odds of five to seven times more likely. Those are really huge, huge numbers. A growing body of research shows that vaping damages lung tissue and may affect the immune system. The Stanford scientists used online surveys to reach more than 4,000 young people across the country. Their next step is to understand whether vaping makes symptoms worse. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg. It might be weird to say this during a pandemic, but flu season is coming. And experts say getting a vaccine is more important than ever. CAP Radio's healthcare reporter Sammy Kayola explains. A bad flu season could put a major strain on hospitals that are already grappling with COVID-19 cases. Flu patients can show up with severe coughs and fevers, just like COVID-19 patients, so demand for ventilators, beds, and protective gear for staff could rise. The University of California system is now requiring all returning students and staff to get a flu shot by November 1st. They said in a memo that this is an effort to prevent a surge of flu patients that could strain the healthcare system during the pandemic. Flu activity usually starts around October, Roughly half of Americans got a flu vaccine last winter. For the California Report, I'm Sammy Kaola in Sacramento. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfatah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. A new UCLA study finds that excluding undocumented people from the stimulus checks that many taxpayers receive through the CARES Act costs the U.S. economy $10 billion in potential economic activity. The California Report's Nina Sparling has the details. The federal relief packages that passed earlier this year and delivered $1,200 stimulus checks to many excluded millions of undocumented people and many of their family members. Raul Hinojosa is an associate professor in the UCLA Department of Chicana and Chicano Studies. He's the lead author of the report, which found that undocumented workers account for the largest share of essential workers. But at the same time, they and their families are systematically excluded from any federally mandated relief. He says these workers contributed upwards of a trillion dollars to the U.S. economy, but 
nevertheless are experiencing disproportionate rates of unemployment, even though they're so often considered essential workers. This x-ray of this crisis shows us that they're both essential workers on the one hand, but they're also expendable. Congressman Jimmy Gomez, who represents L.A. County, says the findings of the report were no surprise to him, but they do underscore the need for change in Washington. In order to change the, the inequity that we've seen that's built in, you have to develop policies using the facts like the study that target people who are always and commonly left behind. Hinojosa and Gomez alike would like to see relief for undocumented people in the packages Congress is currently negotiating. For The California Report, I'm Nina Sparling. Completing the 2020 U.S. Census during a pandemic isn't easy, especially in California's poor and immigrant communities. But Trump administration critics say the administration is making it even harder to get an accurate count by cutting the amount of time census workers, called enumerators, will spend going door to door from 10 weeks to six. I talked about this with Lizette Escobedo, the director of the National Census Program at the Neleo Educational Fund, which is fighting for an accurate count of Latinos. Well, right now, the census is kind of a big ball of confusion. (laughs) We have some specific communities flagging behind when you look at um, communities that are densely Latino, the self-response rate is a lot lower, so we are very concerned about that. But I think what's most concerning is the attempts from the administration to shortchange a census count. Instead of giving us an opportunity to count our community all the way through October 31st, um, they even essence came back and said, no, you know what, we're going to cut it short a month. And so now you have everything rushed. And when you do anything rushed, it's just not going to come out right. And your fear, right, is the real-world ramifications of that. Doors aren't going to be knocked on by census workers to count poor people and people of color who haven't responded to the census in places like East Los Angeles or rural communities in the Central Valley. Exactly. So, you know, I always tell folks, like, it really is about the numbers here. When you think about, for example, you have some communities in the Central Valley that right now their response rate is less than 50%. So when you look at what is the biggest workload for the non-response follow-up process, it's the hardest of the hardest to count. And so when you shortchange the non-response follow-up process, you're shortchanging our communities. You're shortchanging um, by far the the rural communities, farming communities. Um, you're shortchanging communities of color um, because again, those are those are the communities that have the lowest self-response rates. And so when you look at it, it almost feels like a strategic attempt to shortchange our communities, rural communities, and the communities that are mostly suffering during a global pandemic, which kind of adds this layer of um, ill intent when you look at it. All right. Lizette Escobedo, director of the National Census Program at the Neleo Educational Fund. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Last week, we told you about a judge who ordered U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement to test all detainees at a facility in Bakersfield that has a growing COVID-19 outbreak. One of the detainees who tested positive is a 22-year-old man who an immigration judge already ruled should stay in the country. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. Cristian Orellana grew up in Los Angeles. His family brought him to the U.S. when he was two, after fleeing violence in El Salvador. 
On June 25th, Orellana won his case before an immigration judge in San Francisco, who ruled he shouldn't be deported. His attorney is Ambar Tovar with the United Farm Workers Foundation. If he were to return to his country, he would be severely harmed, tortured, or, or even killed. But the government appealed and has kept Orellana at the Mesa Verde ICE Detention Center. Tovar says Orellana has felt high fevers, body aches, and dizziness, and has only been treated with Tylenol and an inhaler. I asked him if he was okay, and he just said, I am I'm having trouble breathing, I can't breathe, I am afraid for my life. So on Sunday afternoon, Tovar called 911, but she says officials at Mesa Verde turned away the paramedics at the door. A spokesman with the GEO Group, which owns and operates the detention center, says Orellana has received consistent medical attention and has not exhibited, quote, any signs of distress. Tovar says she's asking a U.S. district judge to force ICE to release Orellana so he can recover outside with his family. ICE declined to comment due to pending litigation. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, August 11th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Personal Capital offering remote telefinance services with financial advisors and digital financial planning tools, personalcapital.com. And water heaters only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968, licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.